In the aftermath of the New York primaries, many are saying that Bernie Sanders' campaign for the Democratic presidential nomination is essentially over. As one commentator put it, if you can't sell stupid, outmoded socialist ideas in New York, where are you going to sell them? The Sanders campaign had seemed to gain momentum recently as some voters decided they would rather vote for a querulous old nutbag who didn't know what he was talking about than a hideous, screeching wretch who would steal the shirt off your back if it wasn't nailed down. Which seems like a painful way to wear a shirt. As the New York primary neared, however, the tone of the Sanders campaign changed, and instead of sounding like a courtly older gentleman who had simply lost his marbles while reading the classics illustrated version of Das Kapital, Sanders began to seem more aggressive. After Sanders and his people called Clinton unqualified and a corporate whore, one voter asked, if he's going to start talking about reality, where's the fun in it? I liked him better when he was a babbling old coot. Sanders has mostly been running on his economic plan to give the public $18 trillion in free benefits by driving U.S. corporations out of business with taxes that would raise one-tenth of that, after which the nation would descend into medieval poverty and chaos. This plan excited some young people who thought it sounded, quote, kind of cool and all like Game of Thrones and stuff. But older voters in the 11 to 13-year-old bracket said, quote, that doesn't make any sense, and anyway, my mom told me to alert an adult if any crazy old men tried to talk to me. Sanders' philosophy was inspired by the cutting-edge theories of Karl Marx, who died in 1883 after uttering his famous last words, I better get out of here before someone figures out I don't know anything about economics. Sanders enjoyed Marx's theory so much, he and his wife actually honeymooned in the Soviet Union during what they called our little gulag getaway. Sanders explained, quote, me and the wife always enjoyed playing master and slave, and where could you find more slaves than in the Soviet Union? Although Sanders has vowed to fight on after his defeat in the New York primaries, Democrat officials are cautioning him against calling Hillary Clinton names, such as corrupt or dishonest or, or shrill or annoying or intolerable, or soulless, or irretrievably damned for a catalog of sins that boggles the normal mind. As one Democrat insider put it, quote, I think we can all get along with Bernie as long as he doesn't start speaking the truth. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. <laughs> All right. All right. We are halfway through the two-week maelstrom vortex of darkness that I promised you we would be going through. These weeks these weeks go by really fast for me. I don't know if it's just me. I'm actually having a good time talking to people. So, uh, you know, the weeks kind of skitter by. And so we only have one more week of this kind of terrible Trumpian cloud of miasmic horror before we move on and find out what happens next, which may be even, even more darkness. We're going to have an interesting show. We're going to talk about sum up some of the themes uh, we've been talking about, talking not only about politics, but about what happened to Kurt Schilling yesterday, an appalling, an appalling story. But then we're going to switch over to the culture and we're going to interview my friend Christian Toto, who's one of the rare conservative voices uh, talking about movies and the culture. He's a movie critic. He has a website, hollywoodintoto.com, and he can be found on Twitter at, at, uh, at Hollywood in Toto. Uh, really interesting conversation about how Hollywood rewrites history. 
All right, but first, a word from our sponsors. These Hillsdale people, they just will not give up on us. You know, the thing, things are crumbling, the temple of democracy is falling, and yet Hillsdale still insists we can learn about the Constitution and the American presidency. The American presidency, you may be startled to find out, may be the most powerful office in the world, but it isn't a monarchy. So many current candidates view the presidency as the accumulation of all three powers, legislative, executive, and judicial. That is not how the framers designed it. Learn about the separation of powers and how to restore constitutional restraints in a free Hillsdale College course. It's called The Presidency and the Constitution. You can get it by signing on at hillsdale.edu slash Andrew. You get it for free. It's at hillsdale.edu slash Andrew. A new lesson shows up every week right in your inbox from Hillsdale's professors. You'll hear them knocking on the glass trying to get out. You can learn how the Constitution protects us from would-be dictators with a free class, the presidency and the Constitution, from our friends at Hillsdale College who will not give up on this republic no matter how far it sinks into the abyss. All right, so Bernie Sanders looks like he's done, and there's all this pressure now on him to get either, either get out they know he's not going to get out. See, the guy is, uh, you know, the guy wants to establish a socialist wing of the Democrat Party. That's what he's in this for. He tasted a little blood, I think, coming into New York. We had a string of victories, and he started to think, well, maybe I can actually do this. And that's when he turned nasty because he thought maybe, oh, maybe I could win. That would be different. But I think what he really wants is to leave a legacy of, you know, of socialist madmen behind him in the Democrat Party. And so what the Democrat establishment is saying to him now is either get out, you have no chance of winning, so either get out, but if you're not going to get out, be nice. Here is DNC Chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz talking about this uh, to Megyn Kelly. Is this prolonged race on your side hurting her if she becomes the nominee? Well, I don't think so. And I mean, really, you can point to the evidence that we have in New York last night when exit polls showed that seven in ten New York voters coming out of the polling place were energized and enthusiastic about our candidates and less than 40 percent of Republicans said that and you've got Republican senators and other elected officials and candidates deciding not to even attend and announcing that they won't attend the Republican National Convention so um, I mean at this point in 2008 our primary was much more divisive than this one has been. And while I'm very proud of our, both of our candidates for really focusing on substantive issues in our debates and throughout this campaign, I do continue to caution them to not really get intense and divisive so mm -hmm. that it harms our ability to come back together. See, what she's saying here is the, the uh, common wisdom in politics is that if you have a tough primary, there's a certain point at which it improves the candidate. So when Barack Obama went up against Hillary Clinton, here was this untried politician. Obama has a certain genius for politics, but Hillary Clinton honed him and made him a weapon for the general election so that by the time he got to the general election, he had been tested by running against Hillary Clinton. The problem they have is that Bernie and going up against Hillary Clinton, Hillary is such an unappealing candidate that every time Bernie says something about her that happens to be true, like she's dishonest or corrupt or, you know, in with the Wall Street people, it hurts her. So that we talked about yesterday this uh, Wall Street Journal NBC poll in January 2013, not long after she left President Obama's candidate, Hillary Clinton's net negative was 25 percent. 
her unpopularity, all right, that's January 2013, three years ago, right? Her unpopularity has since climbed with only occasional exceptions. She broke through negative 40% in the middle of last year, and she hit negative 50% in February, and she's still climbing. I think she gained another 5% negatives uh, since then. And, you know, part of that is just the fact that every time she steps out of her house, her popularity ratings go by because people see her and they're like, oh, oh my, oh no. But the, but the other thing is you've got Bernie hammering her, you know, with her flaws and her corruption and all this stuff and it sticks, you know. But the other thing about the Sanders campaign, Dan, Daniel Henninger had a, an article in the Wall Street Journal today in which he started to ask, he was saying, you know, everybody's been asking why, why Trump, why Donald Trump, what's caused the Donald Trump phenomenon? But nobody's really talking about why Bernie Sanders? They just use these words, oh, it's millennials, it's young people, it's this, it's that, it's dissatisfaction. Henninger writes, if one word attaches to the Sanders camp, it is change. But change what? This isn't meant to deride their desire for change, which is undoubtedly authentic, but only to ask how it's possible that so many under 50 liberals have settled on Bernie Sanders as a change agent after living daily through more than 87 straight months of a Democratic president elected on a platform of hope and change. What exactly is Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, or even Bernie Sanders supposed to deliver that an infinity of politicians and public officials before them haven't already delivered? Why are 25-year-old liberals crying out for change if you are spending $4 trillion every year on all this stuff, on welfare, education, all this stuff that the government now gives you? Henninger says there's hardly anything significant left to deliver except results, okay? So the government is spending more than enough to give you everything you want, everything you could possibly ask for, but people are angry. People are dissatisfied. Why is it? Because we talk and talk about the dissatisfaction, the division on the right, but obviously, you know, in, in the national polls, Clinton and Sanders are like three points apart. I mean, this 74-year-old this socialist who's you know, hunched over, has this funny Brooklyn accent, you know, he, he's, here she is. She's been groomed for the presidency since the other Clinton left office, and she's struggling against this guy. What are people so angry about? What are they looking at? The government is giving them everything it can give them. There's, you know, there's, there's really nothing at this point the government can do. And I, I think the thing is that ju just like on the right to some degree, but it's a different series of lies, we are, we're confronting the fact that the government, the government can do good things, but the fact that the government is doing them is bad. So an individual may say, oh, now I have health care. An individual may say, oh, now I have my college paid for. But the fact that it's coming to you through the government instead of through individuals earning and creating and doing things is causing problems. You know, the, the same thing, just to, to use this as a metaphor, as a comparison, there's all this medication now for depression. Constant, you know, they say, oh, we've really, we've really developed great depression medication. And people in the field, psychotherapists and psychiatrists, will see a patient come in depressed, give him some medication, he's no longer depressed, and they think, oh, gee, this works. And yet depression as a disease is the number one psychological disorder in the Western world, and it's growing in every age group, okay? So now if I have medicine that treats smallpox, smallpox disappears. 
because it treats smallpox, it works. But if I have medicine that treats depression, why is depression growing? Why is there so much depression, even when I see, oh, in this individual case, in that individual case, it's it, it works. I mean, there was just this, this week, the CDC released figures showing that white women's lifespans are getting shorter. Why? Because they're drinking, they're taking drugs, they're committing suicide. They're, they're unhappy. White men, same thing. Just happened, we got that about a year ago. They were telling us, you know, white men's uh, lifespans were going down. It may be that taking a pill will help an individual stop being depressed, but the fact that we treat depression with pills, that we treat human beings like chemistry sets who can be adjusted when they have spiritual difficulties is destroying people's lives overall. And the same thing is true if you look at socialism. If you go to the EU, which is what Sanders is always touting, oh, things in Europe are so great, they've stopped giving birth. They're moving out. Their jobs are gone. Everything is falling apart over there because it helps one person but it destroys the society overall. And so <laughs> normally we would say, oh, it, aren't we great conservatives? We're so wonderful because we're conservatives. We don't think like that. We don't ask for the, gov the government to give us anything. We are but we can't even feel good about ourselves because we've got Trump, who's got his own series of lies, who's basically saying the same thing. He's not going to reform entitlements. He's not going to change anything. He's going to just make more money. He's not going to spend any less. He's just going to make more money. He's not attacking the central problem that's bothering us. You know, the story about Kurt Schilling, I have to tell the story briefly, and then we'll get to our guest. Kurt Schilling, for those of you who don't know, I came into the office and asked everybody if they knew who Kurt Schilling was, thinking they must, but they didn't. Boston, he was a pitcher for many teams, a great, great baseball pitcher. But perhaps his finest moment was when he broke, helped break the curse of the Bambino. The curse of the Bambino was a curse on the Boston Red Sox because their owner sold Babe Ruth. He sold Babe Ruth to the Yankees, okay? And for, from, I think it was 1918? And the legend is that he sold Ruth to the Yankees to get money to put his girlfriend in No No Nanette. I think that's a legend, but that was the idea. And so, of course, God, the baseball gods cursed the Red Sox by never letting them win the World Series. And on the famous, uh, you know, fight with the New York, New York Mets, they lost in this kind of devastating fashion. So they've just been, it's, they've just been a disappointment for all these years. 2004, Kurt Schilling, he's just had an operation on his ankle. He gets on the mound in the sixth game and his ankle is bleeding, the sutures have burst, and there's blood on his socks. They auctioned off his bloody sock at some point for some untold amount of money, and he wins the game, and the Red Sox go on to win the World Series, and the curse of the Bambino, which apparently ended you know, with the millennium, uh, is over, okay? Kurt Schilling goes on to become an ESPN analyst, like a lot of these guys, all the smart guys, they go on TV, and now he's an ESPN baseball analyst, okay? Yesterday, he was fired. Why was he fired? I'll, I'll read it to you from the New York Times, a former newspaper. You'll love the way the book. Kurt Schilling, ESPN analyst, is fired over offensive social media post. Kurt Schilling, a former all-star pitcher and one of the highest-profile baseball analysts on ESPN, was fired from the network a day after he drew intense criticism for promoting offensive commentary on social media. Schilling, who had worked for the network since 2010 and most recently offered analysis on Monday Night Baseball, was dismissed after sharing a Facebook post this week that appeared to respond to the North Carolina law that bars transgender people from using bathrooms and locker rooms that do not correspond with their birth gender. 
genders or genders as we call them. The post showed an o- the post that Schilling uh, spread around showed an overweight man wearing a wig and woman's clothing with parts of the t-shirt cut out to expose his breasts. It says, "Let him into the restroom with your daughter, or else you're a narrow-minded, judgmental, unloving, racist bigot who needs to die." To that, Schilling added, "A man is a man, no matter what they call themselves. I don't care what they are, who they sleep with. Men's room was designed for the penis, women's not so much. Now you need laws telling us differently." Pathetic. So they. Him. We talked about this earlier, this empire of lies, this uh, emp- emperor's new clothing, that if the emperor is wearing women's clothing, everybody has to say the emperor is a woman because the minute a little boy says, but mommy, he's a man, that the lie falls apart. It's these lies that have powered Trump. I keep saying this again and again, I know, but it's really important that Trump, who will say the unsayable, has risen up because we're so sick of this world of lies, because Trump is the little boy in the emperor's new clothing. The problem is he's also a leftist. He is telling, while telling certain truths, he is still telling the lie that the government can fix our lives. And that is, it truly is a lie. It was always a lie. It's not what made America the country it is. Trump is just a Democrat with a big mouth. So let us move on. We're going to have a, our, a word from our sponsor, Reagan.com. Reagan.com is there to protect your privacy, and your privacy needs protection because big tech companies are scanning your emails, targeting you with unwanted advertising. Government agencies are collecting data at alarming rates. You can take back your privacy by getting an email address at Reagan.com. It'll be your name at Reagan.com as your private email address. You can proudly share President Reagan's name with every email you send, knowing your emails will never be scanned or shared with third parties. Go to reaganprivacy.com right now and secure your personal private email address. You get two free bonus months at reaganprivacy.com. All right, HBO, speaking of lies and the empire of lies, HBO is showing a new film about Clarence Thomas's confirmation hearings to the Supreme Court. This is 1991. Anita Hill, his former assistant, comes forward and says that Clarence Thomas asked her out, and when she refused, Thomas started to sexually harass her, making all these comments about pornography, making sexual remarks. Big hearings, Senate hearings, with Teddy Kennedy on the panel, which I love. Teddy Kennedy is going to sit and judge. Teddy Kennedy, who left his, his date underwater to die, is going to sit in judgment over Clarence Thomas, who was supposed to have made a, an untoward remark about pornography. This is the case that made Andrew Breitbart a conservative, okay, because he said this man is being treated unfairly and all this talk about how Democrats are good for black people suddenly disappears if the black guy is a conservative. Okay, so they've made this film confirmation. There are posters all over L.A. with a picture of Anita Hill and the heroic words, sometimes only one voice can change history. Stuart Taylor Jr. writes in the Wall Street Journal, as a reporter who covered the at-times stomach-churning hearings, I wondered how confirmation would handle a story that ultimately boiled down to one of he said, she said. Despite a surface appearance of fairness, confirmation makes clear how it wants the hearings to be remembered. Miss Hill told the whole truth, and Mr. Thomas was thus a desperate, if compelling, liar. Her supporters were noble. His Republican backers were scheming character assassins. Let's bring on my friend Christian Toto, a film critic at HollywoodInToto.com. On Twitter, you can find him at HollywoodInToto. How you doing, Christian? I'm great. How are you? All right. It's good to see you. Um, Good to see you. You know, you, you brought up Boston. I'm a lifelong Yankees fan. I feel like I need a safe space. Like, <laughs> I know, I know. You, you know, I'm a lifelong Yankees fan, too. And there was part of me going like, yeah, they fired him. But still, so <laughs> I, have to, I have to go with the, the bigger principle. Yeah. <laughs> so have you seen I haven't seen confirmation yet. Have you seen it? 
I just watched it in preparation for our chat today. And and it's and what did you in mind. what did you think as terms you know, of experience? It's, it's diabolical. You know, the movie Game Change from a few years ago was an outright cartoon of a caricature of a nonsensical portrait of a sitting of a governor. That is not what we have with confirmation. We have what appears to be a balanced presentation, which actually starts out in a modestly balanced way. But as the story goes on, you see sort of the little tells that come up. And as the narrative shifts from the, here's Clarence Thomas, here's Anita Hill, they're both saying they're innocent, or they're both saying that they're not telling a lie. And then you see more and more of Anita. Then you see more of Anita's uh, backers. You see more and more of her story. And even when Clarence Thomas defends himself, and I think they took a lot of the words from the actual transcript, the next scene basically debunks whatever he just said. Huh. So the, the fix is in. It's, I have to say, it's almost masterful in the way they go about it. They're really, I mean, they do this all the time. We go back even to Oliver Stone's JFK, you know, a, a communist shoots a cold warrior president and suddenly it becomes this big right-wing conspiracy. They did it with the Valerie Plain case, that, that picture Fair Game, where suddenly Valerie Plain was this heroic CIA agent being destroyed by Dick Cheney, who had nothing to do with anything. I mean, is, is this something you see that's, that is continuing? I mean, you think they, they, there has been any change? Do they just keep, are they just going to keep doing this? It just keeps happening. You know, I think HBO is one of the biggest offenders because they have their their bias is overt and obvious. And also they are beloved. HBO makes a lot of great programming. Yes. So there's a good reason why the critics and even the, the people love HBO, Game of Thrones and The Sopranos. It's understandable. So they can use that pulpit to tell these stories. What I think we're seeing now in the culture is a more a bigger understanding of what pop culture means. It has clout. And I think the turning point for some people, maybe for many, was Sarah Palin's impersonation huh. in the hands of Tina Fey. It was excellent. It was very lifelike. But it really depicted her in such a, a, a comical way. It stained her in the, sort of the, in, in the way that we thought about her. And I think that comedians across the realm said, hey, oh, my goodness, look what we just did. Hmm. We could do this again or we could hold back and not do it to the people that we support, which is why for seven years – Senate Night Live has been very, very kind to President Obama and basically doesn't even touch Joe Biden. That's just off the, off the record. Here's this, this guy that even The Onion makes fun of from time to time. So <laughs> that's where we are. And that's why we saw the movie Truth last year, which <laughs> in a just world would have wrapped up the Razzies, but didn't get any as far as I know. Mm. And that was about the Rathergate situation. Now, from a commercial point of view, who in the world wants to see a Rathergate movie? No one. Yeah. No one. But it's 10 years later. We want to retell history, and we want to shape it in the way that we want. And that's the liberal perspective. You know, uh, Joe, Joseph Wilson, the former ambassador who was the Valerie Plame's husband, and the whole thing mm -hmm. about the Valerie Plame thing was Wilson wrote this editorial in the New York Times attacking President Bush. It was debunked. The editorial was debunked. And in the column debunking Wilson's editorial, somebody mentioned his, his CIA wife. And that became the scandal because they were covering up for Wilson. It was a non-scandal scandal, but they were covering up for Wilson. But when Wilson was asked about the picture Fair Game and the fact that nobody was going to see it, like nobody saw the movie Truth, he said, for people who have short memories or don't read, this is the only way they will remember the period. So really, these, these movies play forever on TV, so they actually have an effect whether people see them or not. 
Absolutely. He, listen, he's 100% right. You look at a movie called Confirmation, it's going to air on HBO. It's going to circle and circle and cycle. Then it's going to move into the HBO video on demand section where you could see it again. Then maybe in a couple of years it moves on to streaming channels, maybe Netflix, maybe Amazon Prime. It will continue to live and thrive. And it's much easier to watch a 100, 120 minutes or 130 minutes movie than actually do the research, dig through all the news clippings <laughs> to understand what was reality. Right. Much and, easier and much more compelling. And they also silence people. I mean, we had Cyrus Nawasta on a couple weeks ago because he had his new uh, Jesus movie, the Anne Rice movie. And and they they basically crushed his path to 9-11. I mean, it got on TV once and was hugely popular. Never been played again. Never been on, on DVD. It's never Anything. been released on DVD, has it? Yeah. If you think about the worst programming you've ever seen. Remember that movie, that, that TV show Small Wonder about the little girl robot, which was unwatchable? <laughs> you can get that yeah. on home video. Yes. You can't get the path to 9-11. And yeah. there's a reason for that. That's right. Clear as a bell. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I once tried to mention that movie, The Path to 9-11, in a Washington Post editorial, and they wouldn't let me do it in an op-ed. They, wow. they cut it out repeatedly. So, so you and I and John Nolte and you know <laughs> uh, a lot of other loudmouths have been have been arguing about this for a long time. And in fact, mm -hmm. over the last several weeks, I watched the People versus O.J. Simpson, and I I have to say, I that was on FX, and I was startled by how fair it was. I thought it was a genuinely fair. The thesis of of the picture seemed to me to be that O.J. was obviously guilty. You know, there were racial uh, tensions in the city of Los Angeles. And O.J.'s defense used those racial tensions to get a guilty man off. And the, the hero of the piece is the D.A., you know, the, mm -hmm. the two D.A.s, Chris Darden and Marsha, um, whatever her name Clark. is. Thank you. Um, and <laughs> and they're, they're kind of the heroes of the piece because they are so unracist that they don't see the racism train coming down. So my question mm -hmm. is, has, has it gotten better at all? Have we made any headway at all? Well, I think it depends on what the purpose of that particular product is. With The People versus O.J. Simpson, it's to get ratings, it's to tell a salacious story, and it's to revisit that part of our culture. There is no end game with that movie. With Confirmation, the end game is women's rights. The end game is smearing Clarence Thomas anew. The end game is sort of showing that we're a sexist culture. So there were reasons why you need to tell that story again beyond the fact that they want ratings or they don't want ratings. So I think that's why you get a more fair and balanced presentation with OJ and you get what we saw with Confirmation. And by the way, Confirmation mocks Clarence Thomas for playing the race card. How funny is that? that that's hilarious. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I can't believe the gall. The, the wonderful thing is their gall is incredible because they have no one to say them nay. There's no one at HBO. I mean, I know the people at mm -hmm. HBO. There's no one in there who's going to walk in and say, you people are being unfair to Clarence Thomas. That's just not going to happen. <laughs> They're just sur surrounded by these. All right. So let me ask you this uh, on a, on a sure. jollier topic. Have you seen anything decent lately? <laughs> Yeah, you know, Zootopia is out in theaters now. It's a huge hit for Disney, a very charming, beautifully animated film. And I have to say, uh, Jason Bateman is just, he's so droll on the screen. Here he's voicing a character, so you don't see him, but I just think he's comedy gold whenever I see him. And uh, so that one's out there. It's really good. Also, The Jungle Book. Yeah, I love The Jungle very Book. Very effective. Yeah. And I just realized this, and I feel so stupid, the entire movie is CGI, except for that little boy who does a wonderful job. So now, we, we know that the sort of making Bill Murray into an ape, that they had to use computers, but everything, the leaves, the jungle, the, the 
every the underbrush, everything is CGI. It's all green screen. And, and so that, not only is it a technological marvel, it's a beautiful film. It's ama- It's amazingly done. And the kid, I, I don't know how old he is, but he he can't be older than ten. I mean, he's uh, yeah, he's very young. And, and he's uh, he's really good considering the fact that he's not talking to anybody. Now those are now that's you, amazing too. So I ask you, I ask you for anything good, and you give me two ki- children's films. Does that tell us anything? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> well, sometimes some of the best films are children's films. Yeah. I see a lot of movies that are aimed at adults that are R-rated and coarse, and I, I'm I'm left I can't even remember what the movie I saw ten minutes after I leave the theater. So one thing I will say is that I know it's been out for a week or two now, but Daredevil on Netflix is a wonderful presentation. Oh. Uh, it's obviously a superhero story, but yeah. it's complex, great characters, good action. Uh, a morality play. He plays a very devout Christian who doesn't want to kill bad guys, and he's fighting another superhero named the Punisher who has no has no problem wiping out anyone with his gun. So wow. there's a great clash there as well. All right, that sounds really interesting. One one last question before I let you go. If 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 you're a conservative who wants to get into the arts, if you're a conservative who says I want to make movies, I want to be in television, Andrew Breitbart and I used to have this argument all the time, where he used to say, go in mm-hmm. under a false flag, you know, m- infiltrate the business, and then do your job. And I used to say, no, uh-huh. you got to just speak up. you got to just speak up. What do you think? What, what, would, what advice would you give a conservative who wanted to get into the entertainment industry? I understand both those perspectives. I think the main thing is not to be making stories that are full of lectures. I mean, mm-hmm. even, you know, there have been some films that have been very strident in their conservatism, but they lose half the audience and they kind of have this aura about them. You, when you watch TV today, they will often read a script that is filled with talking points. So don't do that. You could be incognito. You can be o- openly conservative. But if you make a great story that just so happens to tell some conservative themes, you're far better off than telling a great story that sort of stops midway through to say, you know what? The Second Amendment is right. We need to bear our arms. And that <laughs> happens yeah, on TV, yep. movies all the time. So tell a great story. And I think people will follow you after that. Excellent advice. Christian, it's great to see you. You're at HollywoodInToto.com or on Twitter, at HollywoodInToto, one of the rare voices on the right speaking intelligently about the culture. I hope you'll come back again, and uh, we'll talk about, about it some more. Thanks so much. Thanks, Christian. Excellent. All right. We're going to move on to Stuff I Like in the Weekend. Uh, before I move on sure. to official stuff I like, um, if you go into a website called Aletea, which means truth, A-L-E-T-E-I-A, uh, it's a Catholic website. Uh, my son Spencer Clavin has an excellent piece called Thinking Makes It So to celebrate Shakespeare's birthday in two days. And it's about a passage in Shakespeare and its relationship to the Psalms and what it says about Shakespeare's relationship to God. It is really, really a good, good piece, or I wouldn't tell you about it and I wouldn't admit he was my son. Stuff I like. I have been talking about, we're going to play this song, uh, Jay Hay, and then come back. And uh, I've been talking about stuff I like that's now playing. So to get a song was the hardest thing because I don't really like modern music very much. And so I went on the top 40. I limited myself to the top 40. And just to show you how dedicated I am to bringing this show to you people, you unappreciative people who don't understand how hard the blood that comes out of my fingers when I do this. I listen to most of the songs on the top 40, and I could not find one song that I really, really liked. However, however, Megan Trainer does have a song, and I like Megan Trainer only because of her enemies. The feminists hate her. She did that 
piece, Dear Future Husband, and it's all about the base, and, you know, the feminists just hate her, and they keep attacking her, and she just doesn't care. So she has this song out called No, and it's just telling girls you don't have to say yes just because a guy comes up with, to you with a line. If he asks your name, if he asks your sign, if he asks for your phone number, you tell him my name is no, my sign is no, my number is no, get out. So here is Megan Trainer with her top 40 hit, Singing No. My name is no, my sign is no, my number is no. You need to let it go, you need to let it go, need to let it go. First you gonna say, you ain't running game, thinking I believe in every word. Call me beautiful, so original, telling me I'm not like other girls. I was in my zone, before you came along, now I'm thinking maybe you should go. Blah, 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 I be like, nah, ta-da, ah, ta-da, no, no. No, my sign is no, my number is no. You need to let it go, you need to let it go, need to let it go. Good advice, ladies. Excellent, excellent advice from Megan Trainer. All right, we have another tough week of lies, corruption, and human stupidity coming up ahead. You cannot get through it Clavenless. It cannot be done. So come back on Monday. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show, and we will see you then.